This conference will now be recorded. Hey everybody, I hope you are doing well. Luckily, it's warmed up here and the crazy storms that we were supposed to have yesterday really kind of went off without a hitch here. I'm excited to talk with the National Real Estate Insurance Group today with you. There's a lot of changes that have happened in the insurance industry and specifically in Texas due to hail claims and a lot of other things. And so we're always looking for ways to reduce the cost of the insurance that we have on our rental properties and have better coverage options. So I'm very excited to have them with us today. We've got Juliana, Sean, and Julie with the National Real Estate Insurance Group. The first thing that I'm going to do is do a quick update on what's going on here in Texas with the market and pertaining to the pandemic. And then after that, I'm gonna let them talk to you about what they offer. So as always, first, our disclaimer, everything that we talk about is our best information at the time. There's no crystal ball. You should, of course, talk to your accountant, your CPA, to verify any information we give you about investing and et cetera. Of course, we're always gonna give you our best guidance, use our knowledge and our experience to do so, but you always want to make sure that you have all the facts and that you make your own decision and the end. So this company, to give you some background, we talked about their other plan, which covers for some many items during tenancy, including the $1,000 for rent and all that. We're going to talk briefly about that today and hear it from their words. But they also have regular insurance options. And so I personally sent them my portfolio to bid, and the majority of the bids came in three to $500 a year less per property than what I'm currently paying. So I was, I was floored because I've quoted commercial insurance policies many times. I even quoted it with one of my long-term commercial agents I've been working with for almost a decade. They couldn't even come close to what my traditional homeowner's policy, landlord policy rates were. So when I started talking to NREIG and I got that quote back, I was floored. And then I started looking at the coverages and the benefits and my jaw hit the floor. So that's when we said to them, we wanna get you on ASAP. Let's talk about the products and about the savings because for those of you with large portfolios and even with those only with one property, three to $500 a year adds up really quick. So thank you all for being here and we are excited to have you on with us today. And thank you for having us, Leah. And, and thank you to OmniKey Realty. And thanks for everyone for taking time out of their Thursday afternoon to, to talk about insurance, not the most riveting topic in the world, but I'll do my best to make it some fun, make it fun, maybe tell a couple of stories and things like that so we can get through it. And uh, and also Leah, great news. I didn't I didn't know we were saving you that much money. So that, that's fantastic and uh, happy to hear it. Um, guys, my name is Sean Wodel. I'm the president of National Real Estate Insurance Group. Uh, NREIG, we are an, we're an independent insurance agency. It started back in 2008. Um, and we are licensed, now licensed and active in all 50 states. What we did is we quickly uh, figured out that the, the one to four family residential real estate investing market, uh, insurance market is very underserved. So we quickly developed a program that meets the needs for the residential real estate investor. And as you can see here on the screen, um, we've kind of, we've, we've, we've branched out a little more than when we first started in 08. Uh, we now do up to 20 units at any one given location. Um, we do vacant, occupied, and renovation properties collectively all on one schedule. So it eliminates the need for you to have to buy individual policies for each and every one of your properties. And what that does is leverages your buying power to drive your rates down with your insurance carrier over time. The advantage also being is you don't have to switch from one policy to a next every time your property goes vacant or undergoing renovation and back to occupied. Our forms accommodate for all three collectively on one single schedule for you as the investor client. 
and we're monthly reporting, so it's pay as you go. So specifically, if you guys have worked to, through uh, renovation properties, builders risk type deals, those are those are considered higher risk by the insurance industry. And those carriers typically want a longer term commitment from you. They want you to pay for six months or a year up front, which sounds fantastic until your job gets done early and you go to cancel your policy, which you can do. But most of the time, those policies are fully earned at inception. You're unable to get any of your money back. So we wanted to we wanted to eliminate that. Any kind of hardship that our investor clients were feeling from the insurance side of things, we wanted to eliminate those altogether. And I think what we've done is, is, is been able to do that. Um, by, by offering monthly reporting. So very seamlessly allows you to add and delete locations as you go. Um, and, and in addition to that, if you have a risk that fits outside of our world, we have a full lines commercial agency as well. So really any line of commercial real estate, we can help you. The goal behind National Real Estate Insurance Group is to be the one-stop shop for everything you need so that you never have to reach out for another coverage somewhere else. We offer everything. Um, so I can tell you from a personal standpoint, we are constantly juggling policies. So we buy very high risk properties as our clients on your know, and we have to do builder's risk on everything. And then a lot of the time we hit that, you know, we go into a regular policy while we're doing the final little touches and we're at the 60 day mark. So then we have to put a vacancy policy in place. I have one of my duplexes where we were just so busy. I kind of put it on the back burner, one of my personal ones. And so it took me about three weeks to start the rehab. I'm in a vacancy policy waiting for the tenant to move in. It's leased, but I'm paying $300 a month just in a vacancy policy. Whereas your entire policy cost for the whole year on that duplex was like $1,100. Right, yeah, and, and what's great about you know another feature is the fact that it's as simple as going into a client portal that we'll be able to talk about here later. So if you wanna go on and self-serve online, we also have 70 licensed agents to answer the phone and talk to you. So it's as simple as just going into your into your client portal, acquiring your client service rep and just notifying us, letting us know that the location changed from occupied to vacant or vice versa. And all we do is just flip the switch in our system and coverage continues as normal. So you don't, you know, it eliminates having to need to cancel policies, start new ones, wait for return premiums, create, it could create cash flow issues. We just wanted to eliminate that. I think we've done a pretty good job of doing that so far. But what I really want to do is, is focus on what makes NREG different because insurance is insurance, right? There, there are little unique differences between policies and coverages and who accommodates for what specific, you know, portion of our market. But what makes us different is, is how we handle the client when, when you guys, when you call in and you approach us. So instead of us just sending you a quote, like you're accustomed to getting from your agent and saying, hey, here it is, take it or leave it. It may be five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars a year, whatever it is. Let me know if you want to buy this or not. Where we're different is you're actually going to be able to get assigned with a, a, a sales advisor, which is actually going to take some time on a call with you figure out you know, what your appetite for risk is, which is, should be a huge factor for you when you're determining an insurance coverage. Um, appetite for risk, what your, what your exit strategy is. Certainly if you have a lender on the deal, we're going to need to make sure we meet or exceed all lending requirements. So we kind of get a good idea of what your kind of what your business model is so we can tailor your insurance package for, that's right for you. That's the biggest thing I want everybody to get out of today is the fact that we as investors all have choices when it comes to insurance. It's not one size fits all. There's all kinds of different options for you to choose from. And I, you know, and Leah said on the front, you know, we're, we're in some really awkward and weird times that now's a great time for everyone to kind of reevaluate and look at their insurance coverages, their costs, certainly some of the, the terms you guys have in, within your policy and figure out if there's ways that you guys can shave costs to become, you know, maybe more efficient, make sure you're not overpaying for coverage 
without jeopardizing the, the property insurance. So I'll give you some ideas. Keep in mind, you know, if you've got a lender on here, we always have to, to meet or exceed their guidelines. We can't get too crazy without them saying, okay. But if you're, if you're accessing like hard money or private money, usually there's a little bit more flexibility with in terms of, of insurance coverages with those types of lenders than maybe a traditional lender. So all kinds of stuff you can kind of keep in mind and, and work through with your agent and your lender. So I'll give you some ideas today, um, largely driven towards the property portion of your coverage because that's where you can really get creative um, and challenge your agent. Go back and talk to your agent and figure out what they can do, you know, and we'll talk about different coverage forms and things of that nature. And you can go back and kind of find out what your savings would be and if it fits your needs. Um, and then always, we're always happy to help too and give you a kind of a, a comprehensive value, evaluation of what you've currently got and maybe what you should, uh, should entertain. So uh, with that being said, you know, let's kind of jump into it. I want to go through um, a couple of property forms that you as an investor have to choose from. Basic and special form property coverage are the two most common that you see as, as an option for you. And, and this is where you really want to consider what your appetite for risk is. If you're if you're more of a risk taker and maybe you want to you look at that as a way of saving money and you kind of roll the dice on some of these perils that we'll talk about here in just a second, you might want to look at basic form as an option. But if you're if you're an investor that goes, whoa, whatever, whatever happens, I want coverage for it because I don't want to deal with it other than my deductible, then by all means, we need to look at special form as an option for you uh, moving forward. So we'll start with the easy one, special form, which used to be considered all risk coverage. Um, it's changed a little bit since then. Um, special form is the, is the most comprehensive property coverage form you can buy as an investor. Um, why I say that is because unless there are specific exclusions that are put into your policy form, coverage is afforded to you following the property loss that happens. Okay, so they have to be specifically excluded. And I'll go through some of the standard exclusions in just a second. But the good part about the special form policy is that the burden of proof falls on the insurance company that's insuring your property to actually prove to you that the loss that happened did so from an excluded peril. So that becomes a little bit more challenging for them to do at times and it's a more comprehensive form and, and allows some more flexibility in terms of, you know, claims being paid out that maybe wouldn't. Uh, the standard exclusions you're gonna find off of most or every one of these property policies available to you are gonna be mold and fungus, wear and tear, sewer and drain backup, earthquake, flood, and then intentional tenant damage. Some of those you can actually buy back by endorsement or rider, if you've heard that word before. Some of those are just uninsurable. Um, wear and tear is something you cannot ever get coverage for. Uh, and then everyone's favorite is intentional tenant damage. Unfortunately, if you have a tenant that, that goes in and on the way out bashes up your walls, I mean, there's, there's no coverage for that uh, with any property policy. That's The insurance industry looks at that as something that's unable, unable to be at a risk that's unable to be underwritten. And security deposits, key, cash for keys programs are out there to kind of hopefully offset some of that risk. So other than that, I mean, you can typically buy back mold and fungus. I know our our, our property policies all have limited mold coverage because again, that's an exposure that we as investors didn't want. So we wanted to eliminate that, you know, that exposure for you guys as well. Um, earthquake and flood, you can you know, obviously purchase those back on standalone. And sewer and drain backup as well. Um, so those are the ones you can actually buy, buy, buy back by endorsement. It's going to cost you some additional money. So you'd certainly want to weigh in those costs compared to what your exposure might be and if, if you've got lenders in there that require some of those coverages so just something you to think about now one um, of the things i noticed on your policies as well is you can quote it with or without pet coverage so i want to make sure that everyone knows you should always make sure you have dog bite coverage because even if you don't allow a pet your tenant can bring one in there a guest can bring one in there i always use the example i, I got into an argument with an underwriter at allstate once because they tried to say that as long as you know there's no pet in the property, you could never have an issue. 
And my whole argument was, well, you go through South Houston, South Dallas, there's dogs roaming everywhere. One of those dogs could roam in your front yard, bite your tenant, and you don't have coverage. And so all of that being said, that's an important one. Now, we do have a question. And so this question comes from Neil. How long is the coverage for vacancy between tenants? And is there an additional charge for vacancy coverage? Now, before you answer that, I want to give background on traditional homeowners landlord policies. In your traditional policy with a regular agent, what you're going to find is a 60-day vacancy coverage in almost all of those policies. And so what will happen is if you have a fire, a flood, whatever may happen on day 61 or 62, typically that's going to be an excluded claim. I've actually had people hire us where they've had a property they've been sitting vacant on for months. And I had this one I'll never forget. It was a property in South Dallas back in the middle of the crash. And the guy hired us. He'd had three vandalisms. It had been vacant for six months. And none of his vandalisms were covered because no one told him about vacancy insurance. And so he made a claim for $30,000 in vandalism and he had no coverage. They copper theft, they ripped up everything, they took out the ACs. So it's really important. So anytime you get a notice from us that your tenant is moving out, you're gonna notice we put in there, make sure you take care of the vacancy policy. We're gonna write you again when the tenant actually vacates and says, make sure you check on your vacancy coverage. So that's why we keep telling you guys this because that 60 days, if you're in a rehab or something like that, because you don't have to have a builder's risk for light work. You do for major stuff like what we do, but for your traditional carpet paint type thing, you're not going to need that. And so that 60 days ticks pretty quickly. Now, for your policies, tell us how that works. Yeah, so because our policies have the ability to accommodate for locations through all phases of occupancy, there, there's a 60-day vacancy clause in our policy, but really what that is is for inaccurate reporting. So the one the one um, obligation that our investors have by, by working through our program is that they, they need to look at the monthly inventory report that we send them. Basically, it's a snapshot, guys, of what your coverage is at the end of the month. And at that time, you have an opportunity to make changes. So, hey, I forgot to let you guys know that 123 Main Street is now vacant. You can make that change. Um, and then after that, we invoice you for that month of coverage. Um, the only thing I've ever seen, um, and, it, and it's few and far between, is if, if you go two months without reporting that change, so if it went from occupied to vacant and it goes into day 61 and above, if you're on special form, the, the carrier does have the, the, the option to diminish the basic form, but coverage does not get declined. Um, so if there's, a, if there's an issue with a, a vandalism claim in this case, vandalism covered on basic or special form. So that, would, that, would, that wouldn't be an issue on our policy. Um, they've got an option to reduce the amount of claim settlement by 15%, but I can tell you that knock on wood in, in 12 years, I've never seen a carrier do that, at least not on one of the claims that I've seen um, through our agency. So uh, not an issue with getting claims declined. Uh, we, we can, and we make it a little bit easier because essentially what we're trying to do is give the time that you're spending on insurance down to a couple of minutes per month um, where you're look, you know, just reviewing that inventory report. Uh, it gets a little more complicated as your portfolio grows, but a couple minutes a month and then you're just confirming that it's okay by not replying to us that any changes need to be made and we bill you for that month of coverage. So it, it, it simplifies things for you so you're not, you don't have that headache. And then, Leah, if I could go back real quickly on the dog bites piece, that's, um, yeah. you know, that is a liability coverage, which we can talk about later in the, but I'm glad you brought it up because equally as important, guys, is um, if you're looking at canine coverage, you know, usually that's excluded off just about every liability policy available. Um, it's, a, it's just an exposure that carriers don't want to pick up because as you can imagine, those can get very expensive, particularly if you have a child involved. Um, so they don't want to pick up those lawsuits. So they try to limit their exposure at times. 
we do provide coverage for dog bites. Um, it's a sublimit, so it's not up to the million dollars. It's the fifty thousand dollar per occurrence limit. Um, and but the biggest thing I want you to take away from this is if you have dog bite coverage, but there are breed exclusions on that dog bite coverage, you really don't have any dog bite. You, you have very limited dog bite coverage because you've got what were at one point only eight to nine vicious breeds. Um, when I checked about a month and a half ago, it's up to like eighteen. And six of those breeds I really ne I've never heard of before, but apparently they have a frequency of biting people, so they are they're excluded off a lot of the policies. Our our liability coverage does not have any breed exclusions, so it doesn't matter if you have a a tenant that has a poodle when you move in, you tell them no pit bulls, and they come you drive by six months later and there's pit bulls in the front yard, and that pit bull bites someone and you're named in the lawsuit, you have covered through our liability. So that that's the that's the biggest thing is just be careful that dog bite is a slippery slope. Um, particularly if you get those uh, those certain breeds, nobody nobody uh, excludes the the you know the the Yorkies or the Poodles. They exclude the you know the Rottweilers and the Pit Bulls because they don't want that. So they're they're trying to you know give a little bit of cover, but there's not much there. So be careful at that. This uh, is actually where my argument with the Allstate underwriter went into play, and I went so far as to have them send me the full policy documents, and I highlighted out the sections I had problems with. And it was interesting because that was the argument that I gave was yep. your tenant may have a dachshund or a chihuahua or whatever, but the dog in your front yard is a pit bull. And this is for a lot of the properties that we deal in, not the ones we sell, but the ones we manage for clients in South Dallas and South Houston and most of San Antonio, pit bulls are not a rarity. They are probably 60 to 70% of what we see and we don't allow them, but you've also got major issues now with emotional support animals, with service animals, and so one of the things that we guide our customers to do is if you're in a traditional policy, you need to make sure you let your agent know you've got one of these pets that you couldn't refuse because it's no longer a pet, it's a tool. And at that point to make sure they understand that their limitation of coverage no longer applies. That's not a battle you wanna make on the back end. You wanna make sure that you handle any potential issue up front. Now, I can tell you in almost 15 years, I have never had a dog bite claim. I had one situation where two neighbor's dogs were fighting each other under the fence and one dog got injured by the other dog, but there was no claim or anything to be made. And it was a situation where we just told the tenants with the aggressive dog it had to go, but they're not common. These dog bites are not common if you don't allow those aggressive breeds in your home. The problem is we can't control it as much now with some of these laws that have gone into place about support animals and service animals. Right, and, and the way each insurance company is is um, reacting to that and, and changing is very different uh, on their stance on support animals. So be, she is exactly right. You've got to be upfront with your with, with your agent and let them know um, what what potentially is an exposure at your at your property and make sure, guys, you get their response in writing because phone calls never happened. But if you've got an email track saying that your agent told you that this was covered and something got the bid were to happen. It holds a lot of weight. So make sure you get those responses in, in email form so you have it to, to document. I um, had a client who had a property that he bought from us and we had a vandalism claim. It was a weird situation. I think it was one of the builders people who went back. It's like one in a hundred thousand chance, right? So first vandalism claim, he files the claim with his insurance agent. He didn't go through the guy I recommended and they had zero vacancy coverage. If you bought it vacant, and it was not tenanted when the policy began, it had a complete exclusion for vacancy. So make sure you talk to your agent, get the big questions in writing, vacancy, pets, 
liability, those types of things, because that policy looked totally normal. Now, I know that if you're going to go with a traditional policy, you need like an HOA plus. Well, this wasn't one of those. So just be careful. If the price looks cheaper, usually there's a reason why. Right. Absolutely. So let's kind of go to uh, basic form coverage and, and just let you know kind of the cost difference and maybe some of the coverage differences so you can make a, a, an educated decision on what's best for your portfolio. You know, typically there's about a 25% cost difference between special and basic. So you can save between, you know, you literally 25% annually on your insurance costs by going with basic form. But basic form is, is kind of a, it's, it's what's called a named apparel policy form. So it's kind of stripped down coverage. It covers all the major exposures. But it does have some additional exclusions that I definitely want to point you guys out, point out to you and make sure that you're comfortable with that. And if you are and your lender says basic form is okay, considering you're most of you are probably investing in Texas or, or in the South where some of these aren't necessarily an exposure, then let's let's look at basic form as an option. Um, those additional ex exclusions are falling objects, which I'm sure everybody's seen the the farmers commercials, right? Where they're they're, they're talking about all kinds of outrageous claims, you know, space junk falling from the sky, um, that type of stuff that doesn't happen. Um, but falling objects would be an exclusion on basic form. Weight of ice, sleet, or snow. This is where you probably need to think of where you're at, where your investment portfolio sits, and is that really an exposure? Probably not in Texas, right? But up in Can where we are in Kansas City, certainly something to consider. Um, collapse. So if you buy a location that's that's not structurally sound and it collapses, um, there's no coverage for that exposure on basic form. And then a few that I really want to point out that are the driving factors between the difference typically for an investor on basic form and, and special form coverage is theft coverage. So on basic form, there is no coverage for theft. So somebody rips the copper out of the wall, steals the AC unit, something like that. There's no coverage. Now, you also want to think about the deductible you carry and how much would have to be stolen out of your investment, you know, your investment home to actually have any coverage for it to be afforded to go above the deductible. So if you're OK self-insuring that, that theft exposure and, and know that you're, you're having, you know, you've got an occupied location that sits in a good neighborhood, maybe that's minimal exposure for you. So maybe a way for you to save some money. And then that last one is water damage, that last exclusion. So water damage, think of it's not flood. It's not backup of sewer and drains. Water damage is. Uh, internal water damage, it's maybe accidental in nature, frozen pipes that freeze and they burst in the wintertime that cause a mess, could be an accidental overflowing of a sink or a tub, something like that. So if you're okay really with the theft exposure and water damage and quote unquote self-insuring those two perils, basic form might be a great option for you to, to actually save some money on your insurance costs up to 25%. So definitely something to consider and think about as you're certainly now and as your portfolio grows. Okay, I've got another question. Who is the underwriter of your policies and how are they rated? <laughs> so we've got about uh, 10 different ones that, that work on our, on our program. All are A-rated or better. Um, some of the largest companies you've heard of, right? So Zurich, Lloyds of London, Great American, uh, United National, PEN America, um, American National. So all these really large insurance companies, all A-rated or better by Invest. Awesome. And then I've got another question from David. Do they do an investor's personal home auto, et cetera? Not very well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we appreciate your honesty. Now, what I do have, though, is I have about 300 to 350 retail agents across the country that we partner with that I'm more than happy to make a, re a, a recommendation or a referral over to an agent in, a, in your area that might be able to help you better. Um, we're more commercial lines. But yeah, we, we definitely have um, resources to be able to help if necessary. And so do we. We've got great agents for traditional policies, and uh, there's there's a lot of differences in policies too. So if you ever need a referral, y'all can always reach out to me as always. Perfect. Here's a, here's another really 
creative way to save some money on your on your property insurance costs and that's going insuring your property either to actual cash value or replacement cost again keeping in mind you've got that lender over there telling you you've got to be insured to replacement costs this is maybe null and void for you but if you own the property outright or the loans you know dwindle down to where you don't owe much there might be a way for you to save some money here um, let's talk about actual cash value for a second so Actual cash value or ACV um, in, a, in return for a, by the insurance company allowing you to insure your property for to a, a lower insured value per square foot. Um, they'll do that and that'll save you some money, but they limit you to one, one settlement payment following a claim, a, a, a property claim. So um, no recoverable de depreciation. And we'll talk, it'll make more sense in a minute here when I just go through a, an example for you. Replacement costs by definition simply provides you with the ability to go back and recover any depreciation that was initially taken from you in the claims process. But in order to garner replacement costs, you have to insure your property to a higher value per square foot. Within our program, you can see the note there at the bottom, um, replacement cost is available at $70 per square foot, which is substantially less than a lot of insurance companies offer. Usually you've got to go to 85 to $120 per square foot to get replacement cost. We're a very Midwest driven company. Um, you know, a lot of our, a lot of our in, insured properties sit in the Midwest and, and 70 per square foot seems to be a pretty good average for us and our carriers agree. Um, so the way we, we the way we set our program up is just to be simple for you guys. Um, beginning at $50 a square foot, we provide actual cash value coverage with no co-insurance. And then beginning at $70 a square foot, we offer replacement cost, cost coverage and no co-insurance. And we'll go over and co-insurance. I'd like to mention that this is far lower than most companies right now. Do you have a good sense on what the average requirement for replacement cost is right now? Yeah, it's usually between, uh, you know, in our world, you're probably looking at 85, anywhere, anywhere from 85 to $120 a square foot. If you go to some of the more traditional kind of household names that you guys have all heard of, the Allstate and State Farms of the world, which are all phenomenal companies and do what they specialize in very, very well. Investment properties aren't necessarily one of those. Um, look, investment properties are higher risk. Even if they're occupied, your tenant's more likely to burn your house down than you are. So the underwriting is very different when it comes to those, and they want to make sure they're they're collecting enough premium to offset the additional risk they feel they're taking on by insuring an investment property. So there's times, guys, I've seen you know in the, in Kansas City where uh, where a carrier is going to come in and say, "We'll insure your property, but you need to be insured to $190 or $200 a square foot." And you're thinking, "Wow, I just bought this thing for." Fifteen, twenty thousand dollars. Don't encourage me to burn it down, right? Um, so there's, you know, we're we're a little bit more realistic in terms of what you would expect to recover and what the true replacement cost of that property is. But it's really all over the board. It starts really eighty-five, ninety, and goes all the way up to one thirty on average. So I can tell you that personally, this has been a huge problem for me. Those of us that have a lot of equity in our properties, or those of us that buy super cheap. I'm being forced to insure these properties for so much more than what I'm in them for and so much more than even what I feel they would sell for. And it definitely has a bottom line hit. The agent that I was using, I've been kind of fighting it down as low as I can on properties. But for example, the cheap new construction that we're buying all day long, we get them so affordably, a lot of them, we are having to insure them for far over purchase price. And so it's one of the benefits I really like of this program is the flexibility to not over insure. Right, yeah, our, our thoughts are is again, we can't stress enough, we're investors ourselves. and. We, we look at this and say, we don't want to do it either. I don't want to over, I don't want to overpay for insurance. I know what I've got into that property and what's going to cost my crew to rebuild that piece of property, right? So we, we rely more as much on our investors as we do our insurance carrier partners to help us 
figure out exactly what the replacement cost is or what we think would be a good ballpark. And, and 70 per square foot has been pretty consistent here for the last couple of years. I, I haven't heard anything about it increasing. So, I mean, I think that's, uh, that's going to be a, a consistent number for us moving forward. Um, so, yeah, so let's go into a claims example because I, I, I threw some stuff out at actual cash value versus replacement cost. I want to kind of give you a very simple real world kind of example to maybe put two and two together on this because it's insurance lingo. It's not fun um, and sometimes can be a little bit difficult to get. So let's assume you guys suffer a, a kitchen fire, right? $30,000 worth of damage. By the way, the average loss in our program and it's true across the one to four family industry specifically it's about a $27,000 loss and, and 60 to 70% of those are tenant caused negligent losses. Like I'm talking about a kitchen fire. So they leave the candle burning in the living room and fall asleep. You guys maybe have seen it up to now. Hopefully you never experience it, but if you do, here's a good, here's a real world kind of example. So let's say you have a $30,000 kitchen fire. The first thing that happens is your adjuster is going to come out and they're going to figure out how much useful life was left and everything that was damaged. They can determine what a, de a depreciation percentage is they can take from that loss. And for this example, let's say it's it's a house you haven't updated, haven't had a chance to yet, and they depreciated at 40%, which should go to $12,000, right? So right there's your depreciation. So keep that number in the back of your mind for a minute. The last thing they look at is they look at the declarations pages of your policy and they figure out what your deductible is. That's the one thing that you're never going to have the ability to recover. Think of that as your how much you're willing to self-insure. So Deductibles are tricky, right? You don't want to overextend yourself, but you certainly don't want to buy, you know, purchase coverage with a deductible that is too small because you're overpaying for the coverage that you're never going to use, right? Um, rule of thumb, think about the minimum claim you'd ever turn in. Some investors do as much as double that number, and that's the property deductible. It should be pretty comfortable for you to carry without it harming your business, God forbid, you were to suffer a loss. So in this example, we're looking at a $15,000 actual cash value settlement to cover that $30,000 kitchen fire, okay? So on actual cash value, that money is yours to do with what you want. You're under no obligation to, to rebuild the property as it was. I mean, that's why you have insurance. Sell the property with the existing damage, take the 15,000, go on vacation. It's yours to do with what you want. The only difference with replacement cost, replacement cost is going to give you the ability to go back and recover that $12,000 of depreciation that was initially taken from you in the claims process. But insurance companies don't like to just give money away, right? So you just can't just call them up and say, okay, I want my other $12,000. You've got to prove to them um, that you need that $12,000 to make the repairs. So the first thing you do is you exhaust the $15,000 that was paid to you initially on the repairs. You make the remaining repairs out of pocket. You submit those receipts to your insurance company, and they're going to reimburse you for up to the $12,000 they initially took from you if you need that. So... That's the big difference between actual cash value and replacement cost. I can tell you that probably 65 to 70% of our investors that are insured on replacement cost and suffer a partial loss like the one we just talked about, never come back and recover any of the depreciation. And it's not because they don't want to, it's because the actual cash value settlement was more than enough to make them whole again. Because insurance claims are settled on what are determined to be retail costs. Probably nobody on the phone, uh, on the call right now, nobody's paying retail for labor or materials. So if Lloyd's of London or State Farm or somebody thinks that that kitchen fire is going to cost me $30,000 to rebuild it, I'm pretty confident I can get it done in half that, right? So that's something for you to consider. Um, so let just, me give you two examples on this. Example number one, I'll use one of my properties. I have a beach house and we had hurricane damage. It was minor. It was exterior damage and the ice in the freezer melted and ruined the floors. Floors couldn't be matched. I got the insurance company to buy all new floors for the unit because it had to be continuous. The claim was something like $40,000 
and my actual cost for everything was 17,000 on bid. So huge difference. But the negative to actual cash policies and the reason why I never recommend them and I will strongly discourage you from doing them is what happens when you have a claim on a property where the value is significant compared to what you owe and the age of the property. I'll give you an example. I had an investor, a lot of you know, I made my name back in the day selling along what is now the George Bush Turnpike in Rowlett. It was the first investment area we sold back in 2006, seven and eight, and our clients made bank. And what happened is a few years ago, some tornadoes went through that area. They're very rare here. It was a fluke storm and it was right around Christmas. It, nobody could have seen it coming. So these tornadoes went through Rowlett and she did not use the insurance agent I recommended. She did not insure it for its value. She insured what she paid for it. And she did an ACV policy, which is an actual, actual cash value policy. She got paid out somewhere around $55,000 less than she would have on a true claim with a replacement cost policy. Now, property was tornado damaged. It was uninhabitable. It made it structurally unsound. There was really no physical way at that time market was very different then than it is now. This was probably four or five years ago. So imagine if she was still in that policy now with the value now, that property now is probably worth 270. At that point, she was insured for like 105, which is what she was in it for. So it all goes back to the more the disparagement between the policy amount and the value of the property, the worse your claim is gonna be on an ACV. When we deal with roofs, older roofs, if you have a property that that roof is 15, 20 years old, you're in a lot of trouble. In most policies, you're gonna struggle if the roof is that old, but say you have a 14 year old roof or you walked into you know, a really aged something, that's when your ACV is gonna pay you out very little. And that's the problem. Yeah, and, and I was gonna to touch on that too really briefly and, and especially in, in Texas and some other states, you know, a lot of carriers are starting to slip in uh, into their policy form, full actual cash value on the roof, regardless of age. Even if you buy replacement costs, you have to be very, very careful. There are, there are typically like, there's ones that we, we still do 15 years. Um, so if you buy replacement costs and your roof is 14 years old, you have the option to go to replace, you'll have replacement costs on the roof as well. Um, but a lot, of, a lot of carriers are going to 12 years, seven and a half, I've seen five and I've seen full ACV. So be really, really careful. That's, that's usually one that's buried 60 to 80 pages deep in that property policy, which I'm sure everybody likes to read cover to cover. Um, but just be very careful. Um, even if you buy replacement costs, you could have some some limitations on your roof covers that could be detrimental to you. And the problem is, you know, if you don't have coverage on that roof and that roof leaks and it does interior damage, that adds up very, very quickly. I The lowest that I have seen in the last few months is 15 years. Now, of course, we're picky with what insurance agents we refer to. But I'm a big believer, we, as a management client, you're gonna get as part of our newsletters as recommending free roof checks at least once a year. And the reason we do those is so that if the roof is claimable, we get that claim filed and done before that roof ages out of its economic life for insurance. And that was before these new rules that came out where these insurance companies are doing everything they can to save money because hail claims have been so significant. And the average homeowner in Texas gets to replace their roof every eight to 10 years at most. And, you know, for me, I've seen about every three to four years in my personal homes. Now, I've got real heavy pitches on homes I tend to buy. And so for whatever reason, the hail does more damage with the angle. But, you know, the bottom line is that you're going to have hail damage. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. That's why we buy insurance to protect it. But if you're not replacing these roofs when you buy these properties and making sure that you're replacing it when it needs it, you've got a serious problem. Yep, exactly right. Okay, let's go to the next slide. 
another provision uh, within a, within many property insurance policies that I just want to make everybody aware of and, and know that that it's that a lot of them contain it and can be detrimental to you and that's why we put avoided at all costs and why with our policies we as long as you're insured at fifty dollars a square foot we waive coinsurance it says no you know, no coinsurance and the reason being is these are typically listed on your declarations page of your policy as eighty percent ninety percent or one hundred percent the higher that percentage it is the worse it is for you. Because um, what that means, is it's a creative way for an insurance company to deter, to tell you that post-loss, you were underinsured at the time of the loss to, to diminish the amount of money you recover following that property loss. So let's go back to that. You don't have to move the slides, but the kitchen fire we just talked about, $30,000 for the damage, partial loss. Um, another thing that the adjuster is going to do is they're going to say, wow, had this, had this burned to the ground, how much would it cost to rebuild? And for a nice round number, let's say, they determined it to be a $100,000 rebuild had it burned to the ground, right? They're going to refer to the declarations pages to your policy. And let's say for this example, your policy contains an 80% coinsurance clause. So by you signing into coverage with that carrier, you're agreeing to be insured to 80% of the replacement cost at the property at the time of loss, as said by the adjuster assigned. Okay, so that's tricky because the true replacement cost of the property is never known until the loss happens, right? So in this example, they would look at your declarations page and they'd say, hey, as long as you're insured to $80,000 or higher, because I just said it was $100,000 to rebuild it, had it burned to the ground, you've met your co-insurance clause. And then all you've got to worry about is the, the depreciation and the deductible and settling out your loss. But if you're insured to under $80,000, the insurance company is actually going to assess a co-insurance penalty. And they do that based on the percentage that you're underinsured the kicker is, is they do that prior to figuring in the depreciation and your deductibles. So they can take it off that higher value. So I've seen a lot of investors harmed by this prior to them coming to us and saying, you know, Sean, what the heck happened? I'm looking at this claim. Can you explain this to me? And then I show them the co-insurance provision and how our how our product is different. And it's night and day. So challenge your agent. If it's on your care, if it's on your policy now, go back to them and tell them to remove it. Um, typically there are, you can do so by paying a little bit of additional premium. If you're with a carrier that simply won't remove it, you're with a carrier that doesn't have the appetite for what we're doing. And you probably need to start shopping that somewhere else. Um, you should be able to remove that and, and just pay to be able to do it. It's maybe a couple few hundred dollars a year, depending on the carrier. Could be more than that. They're all over the place on this thing. But if it's on there, get rid of it. Let's go ahead and go to the next one. Some, here's some additional kind of add-on coverages um, that you have the, the option to have through us and hopefully the carrier or the, the company you're working with now. Obviously, you can buy flood coverage through us. You can buy it through the NFIP, which would be an annual flood policy if you've got a, a buy and hold long-term or, or you've got a lender on your deal. They want the NFIP product. We also offer a private flood product through Lloyd's of London, which is also a monthly reporter. Um, so you can pay as you go on your flood coverage along with your property and liability. Um, so usually those are reserved for, you know, properties that maybe you have a, an interest in for a short amount of time or maybe undergoing renovation or if you own them outright. Um, so it's an option for us to, get, to give you as well. Earth movement. Uh, this is open in 45 states with the exclusion Florida, Illinois, California, Hawaii and Alaska. We've got a separate option coming for those states here in the coming months. Earth movement is earthquake shock, um, which is just the initial earthquake that happens as well as sinkhole coverage. So all those property policies are now starting to endorse and say, yeah, we don't want that sinkhole exclusion or we don't want that sinkhole exposure, so we're going to exclude it. Earthquakes are already excluded. So we, we came up with an earth movement option 
that would extend to both of those perils if you'd like to if you'd like to purchase that in addition to and that's pretty inexpensive i mean that's that's not an expensive coverage to add depending on where you're investing um, so maybe something that you want to look into if you don't have an appetite for that windstorm um, that's included so when we say windstorm we mean name windstorm which is anything named by the national weather service that's included automatically on every proposal that we provide for you However, there are some investors that will take that chance and say, you know what, I'm more than a few miles inland. I don't have a loan on the property. I'm not that concerned with it. Can we exclude name windstorm and save some money? The answer is yes. Um, so we have the option to go just straight line wind hail with no named windstorm, or we can do full wind coverage with windstorm in those tier one counties where there's, there's exposure to hurricanes. So know that that's an option too. And terrorism coverage. So that's there's a need for that. I mean, with, with what, what we're investing in the one to four family space, which is very, very minimal. However, what we're finding, what we're trying to respond to are our lenders that are actually requiring that coverage to be included by their borrower, regardless of where that where that property sits. A lot of them, when you're going through commercial refis or going through commercial loans, they're treating with the one to four family space the same way as they would treat an investor that's buying a thousand unit apartment complex in New York City. And they're saying, hey, here are our lending requirements. You've got to you've got to meet their or exceed them. So we had a need for that. So we we actually partnered with Lloyd's of London. We have a terrorism product as well. Again, very inexpensive. That 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 coverage is about a dollar per location per month. So very, very uh inexpensive to add. And it's and it's actually true terrorism coverage as opposed to TRIA. So a little bit easier to navigate. God forbid you were to, to have a loss happen. It's a little bit easier to get that claim settled and paid. Do we have, uh, I'm sorry, I don't see the chat. So do we have questions on property before I get into the liability stuff? Um, the only thing I have right now is asking for a copy of the slides. We have no further questions right now. Okay, great, let's, let's keep going. Premises liability, you know, we talked a little bit about the dog bite coverage a little bit earlier. I really just wanna point out some, some just some, some ideas, you know, the, when we talked about some of the, the ways to creatively save on your in, on your property insurance, which could be messing with deductibles, changing your property form, things of that nature. Liability is not that simple. That's typically a set contract per the carrier. Um, asking to increase your deductible will not affect your rate most times. So just kind of go with what they provide for you. Um, all of our all of our liability policies are actually first dollar coverage, meaning there's no deductible to you as the investor when those losses happen. And that's just, it makes it a little bit easier of a transition, especially for the insurance carrier. So they're not trying to invoice you, the investor, for the deductible you're responsible for. So we've got the, the first dollar coverage in there. The biggest thing I wanna point out here is that you should never go without liability coverage. We do have investors that say, you know what? I picked up the property for five or 10 grand. If it burns to the ground, it's not a big loss to me. That's great if you wanna self-insure the property, the property portion of your insurance, and you're in a position financially to do that, fantastic, let's look at that. But never go without liability because liability is the unknown. You could think everything's going very well at your property and find out that somebody slipped and, fall, slipped and fell at the premises two years ago and now they wanna sue you for a million dollars. Um, so even if you're a wholesaler and you have liability exposure or you have ownership exposure in the property for a day, you can buy liability coverage through our program, which is typically between eight and $15 per month um, and that gives you a million dollars per occurrence and a $2 million annual aggregate limit. And again, because it's monthly reporting, you can stop and go as you need to. So you could you can really throw 10 or 15 bucks, depending on where you're at, and, and have liability coverage for that month. And then if you flip the property, nothing else is owed. Um, it's a premises form, which is typically what you're going to have available to you as an investor. It's, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a, it's a liability, it's liability coverage for the premises itself. 
for personal injuries, slip and falls, things that may happen on site. Um, but what it, you know, really what it doesn't cover are professional coverages. So if you're if you're a general contractor, real estate, and you know, a real estate agent, if you're a property manager, there's all kinds of different kinds of liability coverage you have that you may have a need for. We can help you with all those. It's just not included on your premises form for your investment property. Uh, if you've got employees, there's obviously workers comp, there's employment practices liability that you need to think about, hired, not owned, and I mean, there's the list goes on and on. So we can help you with all those, but it's important just to you know where your liability coverage starts and where it ends. You definitely want to look, like I said, at first dollar coverage. You want to look at, at defense costs being outside of your limit. And what I mean by that is if you've got a million dollar per occurrence limit and you have a, a wrongful death that really just eats away and just takes a lot of money to defend you, it eats away from that million dollar per occurrence limit you have to make that injured party or parties whole again. So you want to go with a liability policy that defense costs are outside of that million dollar limit so you don't have to worry about that eroding. Um, and then as your portfolio grows, be very, very careful. There are, there are programs out there that will say, hey, whether you've got two properties or you've got 2,000 properties, we'll give you a million dollars per occurrence and a $2 million aggregate limit for your portfolio. And what that means is they, they assign one single limit for all of your locations, which is very, very, it's, 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 it's very detrimental to you as an investor because it's a lot easier for you to eat through that aggregate limit when, you, when you're insuring multiple locations. And it jeopardizes, it actually almost eliminates the ability for you to purchase excess or an umbrella policy for your liability coverage as well. So always want to look at per location limits that's assigned to your liability. So whatever happens at one location does not affect your other locations. Very important. Um, and then the last piece of questions kind of jump in. Um, the one thing I want to really drive home is you've got an obligation here on your liability coverage to make your insurance carrier aware of anything potential that could happen if you get if you get wind of something that maybe occurred. Whether an official notice has been sent to you by an attorney, or if your tenant tells you that you need to file a claim, if they if they call you and just say, "Hey, I slipped and fell, I'm injured, I think I'm okay," notify your liability carrier right away because part of what you're paying for in your insurance premium is access to their defense teams. So hand it over and let them handle it. If you're turning in a lot, if you're turning in liability losses, and I have many investors that ask this, that turn out to be zero payout, nothing comes out of it it does not diminish your ability to get cost effect, cost affordable liability insurance. It absolutely does not. Don't let an agent tell you otherwise. So make sure you hand it over at the, at the onset of something potentially happening so you don't put yourself at risk. So we have a question. Do you recommend, actually we've got a couple questions about this, but they're all about the same. Do you recommend umbrella insurance in addition to this and do you offer that? So we do offer it. Um, and it's really up to the investor. Um, one thing I will say is umbrellas are, are is the most overused and common term in the insurance world. What umbrellas are not, they're not magic bullets. They don't cover everything. They don't, they don't eliminate the need for you to buy primary liability coverage and they do not affect your property coverage at all. Umbrellas are a cost effective way for you to garner additional liability coverage above and beyond whatever your premises or primary liability coverage would provide. So if you say, hey, a million dollars per occurrence is great, but I really like to have five million. Then you can buy a four million dollar umbrella to go above that one million dollar limit, essentially giving you five million dollars per occurrence. I would tell you that it depends on your portfolio size. It depends on certainly your history, what your appetite for risk is, and what helps you sleep at night. Um, you know, I have some groups that buy uh, location, you know, portfolios in the in like Tampa area, for example, that buy them five or six at a time. 
and they'll buy the premises, their underlying liability, and they'll throw a $10 million umbrella on each and every one of these portfolios. And I've got other investors that have tens of thousands of locations insured with us with that single million dollar per occurrence limit per location. So there's no right or wrong answer. It's, it's more about what helps you sleep at night and, and, and how much you think you need. And maybe if you've had a personal experience, it could be negative or positive. Um, you, I would I tell you on average, because I looked at this about a year ago or, or maybe nine months ago, usually when investors start looking at excess liability policies or umbrellas, um, one of the two is usually when they start to get above eight to 10 locations in their, in their rental portfolio. That doesn't mean it's right though. So if you've got one or you've got a thousand and you want to talk about it, call us and we'll talk about it and we'll make sure we make the right decision for you. So I am definitely one of those over-insurers and I can tell you a lot of you will struggle to find good liability policies, especially when you have more properties, but you've got them in your personal name. And so this is one of those times we talk a lot about putting things in LLCs, commercial financing, all of that. I remember back in the day, I only had maybe three or four rental properties and I added them as extensions to my primary homeowners, which a lot of you guys do that don't have a lot of properties. And eventually you hit four or five properties, they no longer wanna offer liability on them. And so you're gonna approach a point as you build your portfolio where you're gonna to have to go into a GL type policy and where you're gonna want more than the traditional 300,000 maybe that's on your regular homeowner's policy. And so if you're asking for my personal opinion, the larger your portfolio, the more coverage you need. And that's coming from a property management and an investor standpoint. I'm not an insurance agent, so I can't give you insurance advice, but I can tell you that we have continued to raise our own liability um, as we've grown that portfolio. Because the more properties you have, the more risk and the more exposure you're gonna have. And the other piece is the higher risk properties you buy, the more likely you are to have an issue. And so that's something to keep in mind too. If you're buying you know, brand new, nice, clean properties in nice areas, you're probably not as much at risk as say someone like me. Yeah, that, that leads in great uh, to the next slide because you, you mentioned adding on to your homeowner's liability. Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot tenant protector plan, no problem though. So, um, adding on to your, your homeowner's liability can be tricky because commercial general liability policies and coverage forms that are designed for investors like us that have our, our best interest in mind have coverages on there that, that trump those homeowner's policies right now. They're going to be more expensive because a lot of times you're going to look at your, your agent and they'll, they'll add that on for 50 bucks a year for your first investment property, but you've got some exposure there. Certainly the fact that your limits may be 300 or 500,000 cuts that limit in half. Defense costs are typically inside the limit with a lot of those, so it erodes away from that per occurrence. But think about like an exposure like um, pollution, um, which is not going to be included on, on most or all of the, of the homeowner's liability policies that would extend to an investment property. Because I mean, carbon, carbon monoxide is your big kicker here. So uh, on a commercial general liability form, our coverage form has it included, or you can, and, and if you're going through someone else, you can request that it be added. Sometimes it can, sometimes it cannot. But if you have a tenant that gets that gets sick, or that God forbid they pass away from carbon monoxide poisoning, and you've got a total pollution exclusion in your liability policy, you're on your own to defend that loss, which as you can imagine, is gonna get very, very expensive very quick. So there are there are several, several reasons that commercial policies are the better way to go. We'll go through that in just a second. Um, the tenant protector plan, which I think is how Omni, how Omni Key Realty found us really is, um, it's kind of an, an, an ancillary coverage that we offer. It's a de facto renter's insurance policy. We do it a little bit differently though, because as you guys probably know, if you've got you know investment properties in your portfolio and you have, and you have tenants and, and you're requiring renter's insurance, 
they can buy an annual policy from a, from any carrier with a month or two of premium up front. But on month three or month four, when that coverage lapses, you have no way of knowing unless you're listed as additional interest on their policy, additional interest, not additional insured, additional interest on their policy, and you're notified. Not all carriers will allow you to do that though. So what we did is we developed this tenant protector plan and said, you know what, instead of selling it to the coverage to the actual tenant, we're gonna sell it to our investor client, allow them to control the cost. If, you know, and, and, and the price point on our program is quite a bit less than what a, what a tenant would have to find on the open market. So for example, if, if we were to look at, you know, a standalone renter's policy, it may be 25, 50, $75 a month for that, for that tenant, right? On our tenant protector plan, it, it ranges from about eight to $10 per, look, per unit per month. So it's more cost effective and it allows you to control the cost as the investor. So you know that there's no lapse in coverage, you know, that many investors use it as an added benefit to renting from them. And it's got some pretty cool coverages. The first thing it has, it has a $50,000 limit of liability. That's first dollar coverage and that's for you, the investor. Um, if you go back to when we talked about the claim, 60 to 70% of what we see and it's true across the industry are tenant caused negligent losses. Could be the kitchen fires or the candles burning. You did nothing, as the investor, you did nothing wrong, but you're gonna have to turn that property claim in and depending on how severe that is, your property carrier could come back to you and say, okay, we paid this claim, but now we're going to increase your property rates for up to five years while we're trying to recover some of that money we paid out on the loss, right? You did nothing wrong other than your tenant making a mistake. So what this does is allows that property, your property carrier to go back against the tenant protector plan and say, okay, tenant protector plan insurance, your investor caused this loss. We paid, we paid $50,000 out. Now we're going to recover that $50,000 from you. So it does a lot, it does a really, it does very, a lot of good stuff in terms of stabilizing your property rates long-term over time. And it's first dollar coverage, so no deductible. $10,000 of tenant coverage. So this isn't one that I recommend that you go out and you broadcast all your tenants because the last thing you want them doing is burning your house down so they can get a $10,000 contents check, but it's there. So if you think about, if, if your property blows away from a tornado or burns to the ground, you're made whole again, right? And if your property insurance comes in, builds the house the way it was, and you're back up, back up and moving. Your tenant's belongings are all, a are all a loss unless they have some kind of coverage. So what we do is we extend a smaller sublimit for those, the contents coverage. Now, there is a $1,000 deductible that the tenant's responsible for. So essentially what will happen is they'll get a $9,000 check to help them go buy some of their belongings and start their life over. There's a sublimit for $2,500 for affected units. Um, up to $7,500 per occurrence. So think about if you if you have a four unit property and unit A burns one of the properties out or burns one of the units out and there's smoke and, and water damage to the other three units, units B, C, and D would receive $2,500 to help, you know, re help rebuild or buy their new, their new items that were damaged in the fire loss. So, and the last one is $1,000 for stiff rent. This is a pretty slick coverage. Uh, it's important that everyone knows how it works and how it doesn't work, but, it's designed to pay our to pay the investor a one-time sublimit or one-time limit of a thousand dollars for it for a tenant that leaves mid-lease, right? It just packs up and moves, doesn't let you know, and they're in the middle of their lease. Um, if they, God forbid, they were to pass away, if they're deployed through the military and have to go overseas, or um, or you have to go through the eviction process, process and the eviction is complete. Once that happens, and you. It, you're under financial hardship the way it is because now you have to scramble to find a new tenant. So what this is designed to do is help to try to eliminate some of that financial hardship and pay you $1,000 to kind of help you while you find another tenant to, to replace the one that was there. Uh, if you have 
if your rent's $750 a month, it would pay $750 month one, $250 month two. If it's $1,800 a month, you'd, you'd be limited to the $1,000, but it is better than nothing. Um, it's, it, you know, that's one that we get a lot of questions with right now with COVID-19 and everything else, but it's very important that if, if they're just late on their rent or are unable to pay because of this, that's, that's not where it would kick in. Where it would kick in is if the, if the once, if you have to evict and that tenant leave or that tenant leaves without letting you know when they're in the middle of the lease, that's when that thousand dollars would kick in. So just a pretty, pretty cool product. The cost, the cost point's very good. And we've got a lot of, a lot of interest and a lot of our investor clients that are engaging in that more than anything for that $50,000 limit of liability because it, it stabilizes their property rates long-term. Um, so it's a good coverage to have. So uh, that, that's just another option that we'll offer for you. You can take it or not. You can add it to some locations and not others. It's, it's kind of whatever you want to do. It is occupied locations only. There's no reason for us to charge that on a vacant or renovation. But as you you know, as you occupy those locations, you can add it um, at that time. So it's kind of another advantage of working on a monthly reporting form like we offer. Okay, two things that I'd like you to cover as well. Number sure. one, if you have a tenant that burns down a property or a tornado or whatever happens, are loss of rents coverages covered under your traditional insurance we discussed first? And can you explain to our customers what that is? Sure. So loss, loss of rents coverage is um, provided that the investor wants that. We have a lot of investors that actually go without it, but um, provided you want that coverage, loss of rents would actually replenish you for the lost rental income you would have recovered had the loss not happened and made that property uninhabitable. So we have, you know, the average time, unless there's an, an, a lender involved, most investors carry three to six months of that coverage because to be honest with you guys, if your property burns to the ground and it's a near total loss or whatever, and you're rebuilding, if it takes the insurance companies that we represent more than six months to rebuild your property and get you open for business again, you should fire me. So we feel like unless the lender requires it, 12 months is probably overkill and it's paying more than what you should. So most investors go three to six months. It's paid out a month at a time. So what the what would happen is, is the insurance carrier would come in and they'd get the rental lease at the time the loss happened and would just pay you monthly for it. So the rent the loss rental income until your 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 property is repaired and you can rent from it again. So let me give you a loss of rents example. Going back to my beach house, when the hurricane, when Hurricane Michael hit and we had that exterior damage, there were literally no contractors. Even now, over a year and a half later, there are still people working to get their properties fixed because when you have everybody in an area have damage, and we were lucky, our house was built hurricane rated because it was newer, even though it was three stories, it, it fared pretty well. People around us didn't do so well. Mm -hmm. And so I had a year worth of loss of rents coverage. And so we made the decision not to rent out the property from that, I think it was September, all the way past spring break, because spring break is the kind of highest risk area. And really right at the end of spring break is when the repairs were completed. And because we had loss of rents coverage, they paid us what our average monthly was, which was like $4,500, $5,000, something like that. They paid us that entire period of time in lost rents. So I'm a big believer in lost rents, especially if you're in an area like Houston where there could be flooding or hurricanes, even in Dallas. I mean, there's really nothing in DFW that you're gonna see that's gonna put you out that long other than a fire or a flood or things of that nature but that loss of rents can come in really handy. So I'm a big believer in that. The other thing that I want to tell you and talking to our clients, not to you, sorry, um, the tenant protector plan, whether or not you purchase this, it will not change our requirements for your tenant. So your tenant will also be responsible to have renter's insurance at all times with a $100,000 limit of liability and content coverage there as well. 
The tenant will not know that you have the tenant protector plan. We will not tell them there's any coverage for them in place. And then if there ever were to be an issue, now you've got their renter's insurance, you've got the TPP, and you've got your primary homeowner's insurance. So I just wanna make sure that's clear. If you enroll in TPP, it's not going to change how we handle and the legal responsibility we put in place for your tenants. Yeah, and it's important to know really quickly how, how those policies um, work with each other or respond to each other. So another renter's policy being enforced as well as the tenant protector plan. Um, the, the, the renter's policy works primary. The tenant protector plan works in excess. So if they've got a $100,000 limit and that property loss is $125,000, the renters would pick up to the first hundred, and then we and then the tenant protector plan would step in and, and pick up the next twenty-five. That's always post-loss, guys. Remember, the property carrier always comes in and makes you whole again because that subrogation process depending on the severity and the complexity of the loss can take sometimes 12 to 18 months. So they don't want, you know, your property sitting there while you guys are fighting, while the renter's plans are fighting over that. So property policy makes you whole again, and then they go back and do their work and subrogate against the, the renters and tenant protector plan. Exactly. And so we actually, and right now with COVID, it's interesting, we've had more plumbing and other types of tenant damage claims than ever before because people are home and a lot of people are cooking that have never cooked before. So we actually had a tenant catch their kitchen on fire, a grease fire just a few weeks ago. And so that day we filed it with the renter's insurance and the renter's insurance has taken responsibility for that. So again, this is why we require it. This is why we make them have it. Yes, it can lapse. Yes, you can have issues with that. And that's why you have overprotection above and beyond that with either the TPP and of course your primary homeowner's insurance for landlord policy. So just a lot of different things. Yeah, if you wanna go ahead and go to the next slide, Julie. And then this is, this is just kind of a recap, a lot of stuff that we went over. Um, where we're different as opposed to a, a homeowner's policy is not limited to what is listed on the screen here. It's, you know, I think I mentioned it earlier, the way these, these risks are underwritten are very, very different. Um, so if your homeowner's policy will extend to your property being an, an occupied investment property, please go to your agent and make sure you let them know of the change of exposure and let and get back in writing that they're okay with that risk. The last thing you want to ever do is give an insurance company a reason to decline a loss. And leave you and leave you out in the you know in the wind, right? So, if after a loss happens and the adjuster comes out and you've got a homeowner's policy on a non-owner occupied location, that gives an that gives an insurance company a reason to decline a property loss. And the same thing holds true on liability. Be careful if you've got your properties in an, in an LLC or an IRA or a trust or whatever creative way to, of investment strategy that you have, but your but your liability policy is in your personal name. And slip and falls happen and the owning entities named in the lawsuit and you're not personally i mean just i'm not saying it will happen what i'm saying is it gives an insurance company a reason to get out of that loss you're paying those premiums make sure that you never give them a reason to decline that loss um commercial forms like what we offer are, are, are more flexible i mean they, they provide more comprehensive coverage flexible in terms of rate and coverage is obviously they're designed these carriers have an appetite for the risk that we're dealing in um, so they they like these properties as much as we do. Um, and be careful on the liability by adding on to your homeowner's policy. And, and by the way, your personal lines umbrella policy is the same way. You see it more commonly on those. There's sometimes there are business, total business venture exclusions buried into those policies. Yep. And investment properties are concluded are 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 considered business ventures because you're you're generating income from them. So it's very possible that you're paying those premiums thinking you have coverage 
and then they find out post law you find out post loss that there's an exclusion in there that harms you so be very very careful make sure you keep your personal assets separate from your business ventures and that goes as far as insurance as well keep them all separate it limits your liability on both sides I'd like to bring up one thing. You guys hear me talk a lot about doing things by the book, being black and white, dot your I's, cross your T's. One of the big things that I harbor on is not having a Fannie Mae loan and then transferring it into an LLC. Forget the due on sale clause. Forget the fact that it's against your mortgage loan. The biggest issue is your insurance because what happens is your title insurance becomes an issue and that's a whole separate story. But in addition to that, you are required under your mortgage to have insurance in the name that owns the property. So your insurance company is going to have it in your personal name and sending that to your mortgage company. But you transfer it into an LLC. Now the LLC has liability. The LLC can't be named. So now you've got a huge problem. And a lot of people don't set those policies up right. And so you've got to be really careful when you're doing things that are not by the book because it's going to come back and bite you almost every single time. Right. And then go ahead and go to the, the next screen there. Okay, and hopefully everyone found at least one thing uh, beneficial from what we talked about. Um, if you're interested in talking with us further, uh, that link is how you can act. You can get in contact with us. Um, happy to go through your existing coverages, maybe where we think you're okay, where we think maybe there are some options to, to better your coverage or or get maybe more aggressive in terms of pricing and deductibles and structures. We'll give you, we'll kind of sit down with you and, and go through some of those options you have available. So um, I want to thank OmniKey and, and, and everyone for listening and appreciate the opportunity and look forward to working with everyone. Absolutely. Everyone will blast this out here. It's already almost four o'clock, so it might be tomorrow. And then of course, this will be up on our YouTube channel as usual for future viewing. Thank you everyone for being here in REIG. Thank you so much for doing this with me on such short notice. Hope everybody's staying safe and have a wonderful weekend.